Wednesday, whoa there. Wednesday, November 29th on the Sleepers Podcast. Goodness, uh, I'm out of sorts. You know who's not out of sorts? Tristan Freeman from Busting Brackets, who is uh, notably not Carter Elliott. Tristan, not your debut on the Sleepers Podcast, but your debut in this Monday through Friday daily format and your debut where you're not the uh, the third chair, you're the second chair. It's an important role to be the co-host of such a prestigious podcast these days. How are you feeling, my friend? I, I, I'm doing good. You know, I was thinking about doing certain bits and I actually had a plan for at some point in the episode to just step away for eight minutes in honor of Pittsburgh's drought last night against Missouri and just let you do whatever and then come back in at the very end and try and act like the game was close, you know, to do that. I, just, I wouldn't do that, but I, I think I'll, I'll stay away from Understood. I like that bit. Uh, for those that don't know Tristan Freeman here, uh, good friend of ours, me and Carter, obviously, good friend of the Sleepers as well. Always been a longtime supporter of us. Also, Mr. Busting Brackets himself. If you want to go follow Busting Brackets, uh, they have some of the best college basketball content you are going to find in this space. Tristan does a great job with the entire site. So he is also a uh, paid Discord member of the sleepers community, a sleepwalker himself. So we've been meaning to get him on some of these videos, whether it's recaps or previews, but uh, as our boy Carter Elliott is taking a couple sick days here, we wish him well. We hope he gets better, but there's no one that we would trust more who knows this community, who knows how these episodes work to come fill the role here than Tristan himself. So we greatly appreciate the quick turnaround. Uh, This episode is coming out much later than normal for our daily episodes. Might continue to be that way this week until Big Fella is feeling better. We just don't really know when we can record, so we're kind of doing this on the fly. Tristan was very uh, uh, very kind to be so flexible to come on this afternoon with me, and uh, we'll see where this goes. Still going to have previews and recaps coming at a pretty typical daily overnight rate. The episodes themselves, who knows when they're going to come. We're going to try and get them done every day this week. Uh, Do you want to start, Tristan, with a YouTube comment of the day? It's technically your responsibility here. You can't get into our YouTube, though. So what do you got? Hey, let me me just go take a look at (laughs) the thing where I can subscribe. Why not go into Purdue, Texas Southern? Hey, Brian. Let's see, YouTube comment of the day. I'm loving this already, by the way. This is oh, great. Perfect. perfect. This is from uh, uh, Carl W6427. Greg, at this point, you are looking pretty nosy. Three-point percentages after mostly cupcake games for Purdue. A seven games into a season, about 35 games or so, 20% done. It makes more sense to look at Purdue's three-point percentages from last year. These guys aren't dramatically changing their shots from year to year, and their roster is largely the same as last year's. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, it finishes. Uh, did they retool with Lance Jones? Yes. But he shot 36.8% last year. So he won't change things as much for him as a team, even if he continues to lead them in, in attempts. And he'll get more look, open looks in the MVC that, uh, than he will in the Big Ten. So his three-point percentages is likely to drop as the season continues. That's just being realistic. Do you have uh, any comments on your Purdue three-point shooting tape? I do. Uh, So he says, look at what they did last year as a rebuttal to praising how well they're shooting the ball thus far this season. What did Miles Colvin shoot last year? Because right now he's shooting 55% on 22 attempts. 
What did Miles Coleman shoot for Purdue last year? Oh, wait, he didn't. He's a new addition. What did Lance Jones shoot last year? I know what he shot last year. I constantly tout it as a reason to be skeptical of his shooting. I've been doing that for a month, whoever this commenter is. He shot 29% from three last year. He also shot seven attempts a game. If we're, if we're going to act like this guy's at least not a threat to shoot, that's just a lie. I've just said I want to see those shots go in. Now they're going in. He deserves praise for the fact that they're going in. He made three threes two games ago. He made four out of five threes last night. These are new additions. These aren't the same players. That's why it's so compelling to talk about Purdue right now is because Painter did go out and address all of the needs this team had, and it made them better. That's why they look so good right now. And as far as the guys who did return, you can't watch Braden Smith and tell me he doesn't have a better jumper. He wasn't shooting pull up off the dribble shots, even if they're not threes. Like last year, he would not be as aggressive if teams went under on ball screens, hunting his own shots. This year, he's looked phenomenal in that aspect. So, no, I, I'm not willing to just point to whatever guy shot last year because there's new guys and the guys that are back are shooting better. Is that fair, Tristan? Yeah, and plus when when you have a guy like Zach Eady inside, you're probably going to get better looks in the Purdue New uniform than you will have back in Southern Illinois. So even if it's a competition's increase, it, it sort of evens out for me. So yeah, I mean, ultimately, if Purdue shoots well from deep, they're going to win it all. If they don't, then they're probably going to lose. So it is something important to to look at. Yeah, it's a fun thing that these numbers are going to be thrown around all season long. But the point is, through one month of the season, nobody expected this team to be fourth in the country in three-point shooting. Like, it would have been a step forward to be 100th in the country. They're fourth in the country. They're an elite shooting team right now. Against three top ten teams. That's what I'm saying. Like, they're an elite (laughs) shooting team, not against cupcakes. Like, what are we doing? Just going to throw all this data from this season out the window and point to – Last season at the end of the year when Fletcher Lawyer was buried underground, like it's not going to happen again. They're way better. Uh, All right. Thank you for the comment. We had a lot of good YouTube traction the last two days. I've uh, touted some numbers a couple of times just so people who support the show know exactly what's going on. Uh, The last two days were the first back-to-back days in Sleepers Media YouTube channel history where we eclipsed 10,000 plus views in both days. Our, I think our highest views in a day is 13,000 still. We didn't touch that in either of these two, but it's good to see uh, consistency. That's the number one thing I'm looking for right now. And These recaps and previews are really helping. So shout out to everybody. The Heat Check guys have been a huge help to us. They're super willing to, to come on, and hopefully they're getting some good promotion out of this as well. Shout out to you, Tristan Freeman, who's just here for us whenever we need him. And uh, ultimately, the Sleepers Discord community is the other big thing that supports this show if you want to support us uh you can do so by joining the paid discord it is 9.99 a month to do so you need to sign up on a desktop not uh, a mobile because it will charge you like two dollars of fees if you try to do it on mobile for some reason but uh we had three new paid members join the discord yesterday i actually want to give them a, a quick little shout out if we could here tristan i just need to scroll up and make sure i find their names because uh I'm loving the people who have joined the Discord right now. They're like all Purdue fans, though. It's a little intimidating. Like, you're a pit guy. You're kind of solo in the Discord. Are you intimidated by the Purdue fans that have joined? No, we we need one good Big Ten team to talk about because Michigan State just dropped the ball. And I thought, you know, we was going to have a whole lot of Spartan talk. But, you know, they're a 500 team. And, you know, their star fan, Carly, is apparently sick of them, too, literally. 
So, you know, we just bring in more Purdue fans. That that that's what the sleepers need, and we need to to roll with with the boilermaker weight. Yeah. Okay. So we we got J Rock 30 who joined the Discord and uh all he gave us, we always ask people to introduce like what fan they are or who they root for, right? Um he he hinted that he's a Rodney Terry fan. So I don't know if that means he's a Texas fan across the board or he just likes Rodney Terry. But it's good to see some Rodney Terry support because we like him here at Sleepers as well. Uh, shout out to J-Rock30 who joined. We also had, uh, I hope I'm saying this right, Z Yater joined. He's a boiler by birth, education, and employment. Uh, he is not blinded by his black and gold enough to say that Lance Jones is better than Tyson Walker, though. So that's a big win. That means we have some people with brains who are joining. And I think we had a third person join as well, but I can't find who they are quickly. So uh, anyway, shout out to the new folks who have joined the Sleepers Discord. Your support means the world. Your support keeps the lights on. Quite frankly, it's the only reason we've been able to try and do this. And uh, a bunch of people still joining who claim they didn't know they have to pay. So they must not listen to the show. You have to pay $9.99 a month to join the Discord. Do it. It's fun. Tristan loves it in there. It just simply is what it is. All right, let's get to our comments from the Discord. Uh, only two comments from last night, and one of them is directed to Cart. So by default, that means Tristan has to answer it. For Cart, happy UCL season, fam. Who do you think stands the best chance stopping City from repeating and why? That's a question from Fam. Yeah, um, so I'm assuming this is a Champions League uh, a soccer question. So I'm going to go with uh, AC Monaco uh, from from the from the Italian league. I have no idea if they actually qualified for it. I just know that they're <laughs> an actual team from Italy that's usually good. And shout out to, I think Balotelli was on it too. So I'm going to go with AC Monaco. I hope that answers Pam's question correct. Do you mean AC Milan? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm not I'm not the biggest yeah. football guy, but I'm like, is AC Monaco something? I don't oh, know. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go AC Milan. I think I don't even know. <laughs> did, did Milan... Oh, okay. Well, shout out to Monaco. I think you're a team out there in the Italian first or second league. It's a special sounding team. Uh well, oh yeah, I will say shout out to uh 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 Celtic or Celtic. I don't know how they pronounce that. But they're always uh, on TV Sundays at like seven in the morning because CBS Sport Network tends to play their game. So and they usually win that league every year. So, uh, you know, support whatever group they're in. Yeah, you uh, you have the strangest sleep schedule of any human I've ever encountered. This could be fun. We can flesh this out later in the show. But I uh, appreciate your effort stepping in for Cart on that question. Uh, sorry, fam. If you want to ask that again to Cart, feel free. But again. Big fella might just not come back to the show. I don't know what this is. I know he's sick. Uh, thoughts and prayers. Let's get some rest, some hydration in you. And from his text, by the way, he just texted me after we clicked record. Not feeling well. <laughs> it's not going good. So my thoughts are with you, Cart. Uh, one more comment here from Malik Perry. He says, is winning the two conference games more important or beating Baylor and going one and one in conference games? Uh, he's talking about his Michigan State Spartans. It's an interesting one, though, right? Because, like, normally I think you would say the conference games matter. You want to win a conference title. But this team could use a confidence boost beating somebody really good. They're not They're not winning the conference, so it really don't even matter what their conference record is. And Purdue's probably – I mean, Baylor's probably better than anyone else outside of Purdue. So, no, get that Baylor win because that's better for your resume and, 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 quite frankly, better for national – PR because you're because if you you can beat Baylor who actually has good guards who play both halves well 
then you know that that'll help you out. That, that they need that more than some whatever conference feeder like Maryland that no one's going to care about. So it's, it's Wisconsin at home, then it's at Nebraska, then it's Baylor on a neutral. I think my answer, as much as I would like to see a win against Baylor, I think it's it's win the conference games because that's going to help you more in the whole quote unquote, get ready for March portion of the year. Like a two seed in the big 10 tournament matters. That matters big time. Avoid Purdue be on the other side of the bracket, string together three straight wins, get to the final. Um, I think you'd rather rack those up and at Nebraska looks like a really good win right now. Wisconsin's a top 25 team on Ken Palm. So it's not like those are slouch games. Those are probably both quad one games to be honest. So yeah, give me give me the conference points. Uh, yes, it would be great to see them beating Baylor, but end of the day, you want to be two and zero in the conference. That's my answer. But Those who gets you better? Who gets you better ready for March? Jacoby Walter or Chucky Hepburn? Like going up against them? Like you? Like like you're going to have twenty quad one games in Big Ten play anyway. You'll you'll rack up the resume needed. But if you're actually a good enough team to advance in March, then Baylor is the kind of opponent you need to beat. Not Wisconsin or Nebraska. Yeah, but I just don't like if this game was played at the end of February, I'd agree. I just don't think like a, a win against Baylor is a confidence boost, which they don't even need because their next three games after that are Oakland, Stony Brook, and Indiana State. I, like I, I don't think they're going to take lessons from beating Baylor and carry them four months later in March. Maybe I'm crazy on that. I think it's it's much more tangible what they would get out of being two and zero in Big Ten play than it is we beat Jacoby Walter. Will be a fun game either way. We'll see what happens. Uh, all right. That's the comments from the Discord. Join the Discord. The link's in the description. We're going to get to our show today. Might be a quicker episode today now that we're into it, but, hey, I'm perfectly okay with that. I got three topics for you. One's a fun little game. Tristan is going to be, be subjected to my little games. Uh, one of them is somebody Carter, while sick, was beefing with on Twitter last night. And then the third one is the Big 12 Big East Challenge. Uh, let's start with the beef. Why not start with the beef? Cause Cart's not here to defend himself. Ken Palm kind of came at the media last night. Ken Palm is one of the first guests that we ever had on, uh, the sleepers podcast a couple years ago. He was very cordial. It was great to talk to him. It's a great interview. You can go find it on the sleepers media YouTube channel if you want, but over the years, I've always been a big Ken Palm guy. I've always supported him. Uh, I've always been a subscriber. I've used his work constantly when I do my daily picks gambling stuff. Carter has not, to say the least. Carter has kind of half for a bit, but half serious, always just sort of asserted that Ken Palm has washed the last couple of years. He doesn't agree with a lot of the things that come out of his analytics, and uh, he pushes back on it in a big way. Well, last night, Ken Palm tweets this. One of the perks of being a media darling like Miami, is that if you get run off the floor by a quality team, the media will give all the credit to the opponent instead of reevaluating its opinion of you. Here's what happened. I saw that tweet last night while editing a couple recaps. I asked Carter if he would tweet something that I ghostwrite for him. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I'm taking credit for one of Carter's tweets here. But he responded, Carter, his Twitter account responded and said, one of the perks of being a Ken Palm darling, like Ohio State last year, is that if you lose seven of eight games, but the computer still thinks you're a quality team, the hashtag analytics will give all the credit to the opponents instead of reevaluating its opinion of you. Because if you look through Ohio State, we talked about this all season long. Ohio State lost seven of eight games last year in a stretch that included a home loss to Minnesota, losses to Rutgers and Nebraska, and Maryland, and Illinois, and Indiana. Their only win in a month 
was a home win against Iowa and Fran McCaffrey. And Ohio State fell all the way down to 20th in Ken Palm rankings at the end of that stretch. They were 11-10 and 10 on the season at that point. They were 20th in the country on Ken Palm. So where this is coming from, I know I'm ranting, but I want to get your thoughts here. I don't like what Ken's doing here. I don't like his angle. I don't like coming out and trying to play the I'm smarter than the media game and choosing a game where Kentucky objectively looked awesome last night. You're going to tell me you watched that game and the takeaway wasn't Kentucky's great, but the takeaway was actually that Miami's pretty mid. That's ludicrous. Like maybe there's an element of both of that here, but trying to dunk on the media because Kentucky just blew a team out at Rupp. Like that makes no sense to me, especially after what you did with Ohio state all last year, own it. Like your rankings and the AP poll, neither one is the Bible here. They're all data points. So sometimes data points are wrong. All data points are wrong. Sometimes it is what it is. I'm done with my rant, Tristan. What do you think? It's ironic. He used Miami. Because that was the same Miami team that he wasn't high on last year that beat his number one Ken Palm team, Houston, in the Sweet 16, the NCAA tournament. And the problem is not really a problem because I'm not huge in the analytics outside of Evan Miyakawa. Uh, you know, there are teams that aren't going to be appealing from an analytics standpoint, but you're still going to like them in March. Like any team with great guards like Miami. I'm probably going to pick them. Like, hypothetically, if Miami is a five seed and Kansas is a one seed, there's going to be a lot of folks who's going to want to pick Miami in that matchup because Kansas, even though they're going to be highly, they have the metrics, they're going to love them, have a whole bunch of flaws. And, I mean, even looking at Ken Palm's current rankings, are we really going to say BYU is the 10th best team in the country because they beat San Diego State at home? Like, is that really there? I mean, Iowa State 26. When every time we see Iowa State play a team that's ranked in the top 100, they struggle to score for 10 minutes. I mean, even even the fact that Pitt is only up one on Michigan in the end of Camp Palm rankings, that's just disrespectful because Pitt's a lot better than Michigan. Oh, like, shut we, up. We, shut we, up. We got to do better than that. Don't, 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 don't worry about where Missouri's ranked. But other than that, <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, if you want to take a victory lap in the end of November, in a game where Miami's best player got saddled with two fouls quickly, then, you know, go ahead. But I, I it, it, it's not my realm to talk about, but, you know, for every victory lap that you take, there's always going to be one that's taken on you quicker than you expect. I just desperately, desperately wish uh, that Michigan could play Missouri at home. That seems like a, a boost our resume could really have. But we're not that lucky. We don't get to play uh, easy opponents at home. We have to go on the road and play Oregon next. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I just – look, I, I seriously – I love Kempom. I love the site. I'm a subscriber. Like, I, I think it's maybe the most useful tool that has redefined how smart people watch basketball and how stupid people watch basketball. Like, they're getting smarter using the tool that he's built. Where I think this crossed the line and where I think it's just – hypocritical is for if he's going to try and play the me versus the media game you don't want to do that like because you've you've held your credibility through the years of being the guy who doesn't want to take shots at the stupid people who do the polls right let the stupid people who do the polls go on whatever their show is and blast ken palm and look stupid doing so in the end but instead i feel like he was like dipping his toe into like 
I don't even know what bag. I don't want to. I don't want to single any media members out. But like, it's like Kempom was doing the media member move here of trying to dunk on people after Kentucky just looked great. Like truly, that's what the game was last night. Norchad was in foul trouble the whole game. They were up six with like two minutes left in the first half. Like, <laughs> I don't know how the takeaway can just be like, oh, Miami stinks from a game where Reed Shepard went off like he did. So, uh, yeah, anyways, thanks, Carter, for letting me ghostwrite a tweet for you and just vent some frustrations. Looks like it got some decent engagement. And uh, if I, I know it's not easy. It's probably not easy to lift a finger and click tweet when you're in the current six state that you're in. So uh, get well, Cart. Appreciate you uh, indulging my crazy ideas here. Let's move to uh, – let's do Big 12 Big East preview. Next, this is the Big 12 Big East battle. They love alliteration, I guess. We had the ACC-SEC challenge. Well, now we have the Big East Big 12 battle. There are 11 games in this series, and I'm honestly pretty confused how it works. This isn't like a Monday-Tuesday type thing. Games for this start tomorrow on Thursday, and then they run through the end of next week. So this is like a seven-day event, all scattered throughout. Teams from both conferences are playing games against other teams in the middle of it. It's just all, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel like an event, even though it's listed as the Big East Big 12 battle. So let's go game by game and just give a quick prediction. We don't need to spend too much time on it. You and I actually just did two previews for the first two games of this event. So let's start with Texas Tech and Butler. Uh, go watch. Actually, you know what? Let's not even give our two away. Texas Tech, Butler, and Creighton, Oklahoma State. Go watch the previews. If you want our answers, we gave a prediction in both of those videos. Moving to game three in this series, Iowa State at DePaul. Who do you got? I got DePaul coach getting fired after this game because I think <laughs> Iowa State's going to handle it. That, that's my prediction. I don't think it's the craziest prediction ever. Um, I will say I, I'm very underwhelmed with Iowa State right now. And I know like the numbers look okay. In, in the end, a close loss to Texas Tech on a neutral isn't that bad blowing a 21 point lead to a Texas A&M team without Radford and Coleman is one of the worst losses. I think any team will have this season, just situationally Lipsy, I think is very good. I still don't, for some reason, I don't like him. And I, I don't mean that personally. I just like, if my team's everything was Lipsy, I wouldn't feel great about that for some reason. I just don't trust him in big spots against good opponents. Luckily for him, DePaul's not a big spot or a big opponent. So Iowa State should win this game comfortably. I'm with you. Game number two, Houston at Xavier. Houston is the number one team, according to our, our friend Ken Palm right now, on the road against Sean Miller in a bounce-back spot after the loss to Oakland. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know if Xavier was looking ahead from the, the, the Oakland disaster to this game, but – he, Houston's guards are just simply better, and I think we can have a conversation about whether or not Xavier's guards are really actually good, those mid-major transfers. I think the Cougars should handle this one. It, this, it's arguably, what, their first true test, because I, I do think Xavier's better than Dayton, but it, it, it should be a fairly easy one. I'll be, I would be surprised on both ends if this was close. Yeah, I uh, I I don't think it's as much like Xavier was looking ahead. I just think Xavier's not that good. And it pains me to say, because I really like Sean Miller. It shouldn't be that surprising, given the Hunter and Fremantle stuff. Like, they just don't have all their dogs. But um, Des Claude is not as good as I think he needs to be, given the rest of the roster right now. Still a good player. But he's not like a transcendent can carry you every single night when he doesn't get a lot of help guy. 
And Houston just has more depth. They have more talent. They have more physicality. I think they wear down Xavier pretty quickly in this game, maybe jump on them early. The only thing I would say, Xavier hung around against Purdue. So talk about like tough teams they've played. Uh, they're the only team in the country that's played teams as good as Houston and Purdue back to back or within a month. And I thought they would have gotten blown out in Mackey. They didn't get blown out in Mackey. So maybe there is something to big game Sean Miller here, but uh, I'll take Houston relatively comfortable here as well. Two game number five in this series, UConn at Kansas. This is my favorite game of the entire non-conference slate. Who do you like here? Honestly, and this might be a surprise. I think this one enters blowout territory quickly. I think UConn torches Kansas because wow. if Klingon if Klingon just handles Dickinson and just ha- makes them have an inefficient night, UConn just has too many scores, too many weapons that that can go off. And asking McCuller to keep them in as long as long as UConn you know keeps him at bay, then I don't see how Kansas is going to score. Maybe they themselves were looking ahead. To this game because they struggled against against uh, Eastern Illinois. I think this could be a twenty plus point game. If I if I gave a score prediction, I think this one's going to be on a national news for like eighty five to sixty. Wow. Okay. Are you out on Kansas like long term then too, or just in their current state? Uh, if they don't get Bryson Tucker, then I'm out on them long term because it's. You, you can't. You're getting almost the best from Dickinson and McCuller, and that's still not enough to handily beat teams you're supposed to. They just only. They only got four good players, and I don't think McDowell and Furphy are going to come along and fast enough for them to be a true Final Four contender. Yeah, this feels like a four-on-five game. Obviously, it's at Fog Allen. Um, it'll be a crazy environment, and honestly, I think Kansas will feel a little desperate here. I'm excited to see Hunter go up against someone his own size. I'll just say that. Uh, Klingon is a monster, and I think Klingon is like foaming at the mouth to play a good center right now because they're kind of they're kind of quietly under the radar, even though they're the champs. They just they haven't played a big game yet. Kansas has played a bunch of big games. There's there's been good results, there's been bad results, but I'm with you. I think UConn wins this game. Yeah, I think Klingon, he went for 29 in, in the past game, but no one's talked about him yet in a national player of the year race, which is what was the offseason talk. Like, this yeah. is the perfect opportunity for him on both ends to show that he should be in that conversation. Yeah, so here's my formal prediction. I'm not going to go as far as you and say it's like a 25-point blowout, but my formal prediction is this. I think Kansas gets a stellar Hunter Dickinson performance, like the best game of Hunter Dickinson's career. And I think they lose by 15 points. We'll see. They just don't have enough outside of him. How many How many points over under six points for Dewan Harris? Under. Under. Man's terrified of his own shadow. Except he's not. He just, he, when he's not afraid, he's afraid. That's how he plays. It's the strangest thing I've ever seen. And if they could trade, honestly, Kansas fans will probably jump on me. If they could trade Dewan Harris for like a score first guard to a team that just needs like a maestro puppet master, Everyone would get so much better. I don't know what the perfect trade is. I need to think on that, but like it, he just I doesn't mean, make sense. They need a scorer in that spot. I mean, this game, this game would be the perfect trade. You give Kansas Tristan Newton and you give UConn Dwan Harris with, with Cam Spencer and, and Alex Caravan and all the other scorers they have. Both of those teams would arguably be two of the top three teams in the country. 
Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. The only thing I would say is uh, I think UConn fans are going to kill you for saying that they would want Dewan Harris over Tristan Newton. I think he's just no, – it, it, no, I think it would be an even swap if they have to do. If you want to look at that trade, like like UConn's going to be a contender regardless. And, and look, Harris's defense alone makes him very valuable, and his passing ability. So it certainly wouldn't be a down trade for them. I think it will work for both ends. But I think roster construction wise, UConn is very happy with what they have right now. Yeah, I think you're right. For the record, I want to go on record speaking for me personally. Tristan Newton is a way better basketball player than Dewan Harris is what it is. Uh, moving on, we have six more games left. St. John's at West Virginia. Your thoughts? Yeah, this this could be the ultimate, okay, what are y'all doing, St. John's? Because they should be able to handily beat West Virginia. They basically have Jesse Edwards and a bunch of guys who are trying their best. Still no Kirk Risa, still no – uh, Raekwon battle. They they've they've struggled against uh Bellarine the past week. Like St. John's has just so much more firepower. Soriano and Edwards should cancel each other out, and that means that St. John's has the advantage the rest of the way. This should easily be a, a ten to fifteen point blowout. If it's even close, then we're going to have to start talking about whether or not St. John's really is mediocre. Ah. Uh. Uh, I think West Virginia wins and I don't know why I think St. John's is the better team. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I can't shake it. I can't shake it. I think this, uh, I think this St. John's team is going to have wild swings all season long from like, look great to look so miserable. And this feels like a spot where it's so miserable. Uh, I like Ledlam's going to probably have to do stuff in this game. Don't like that whatsoever. And uh, I, it, it's kind of some similarities here, right? Like messy off season, bunch of new faces, but this one's in Morgantown. I'll take the home team and hope that there's been some bourbon drank by the fans. Are you, are you saying that Rick Pitino is going to get out coached by an interim former assistant coach in Josh Island? No, but I'm saying I think Rick Patino could coach them masterfully and they could still lose this game. I think that's how bad the roster. I don't like the roster. I think they got issues. We'll see. Uh, okay, TCU at Georgetown. By the way, we're going through this. This is supposed to be like, I feel pretty strong. This is the best two conferences in college basketball, at least the top. The top of the Big 12, top of the Big East, in my opinion, is the strongest two conferences in college basketball. And we're going through these games, and there are some ugly games I have no interest in watching, one of them being TCU at Georgetown. What do you think? Yeah, we still don't know We still don't know anything about TCU because they played a whole bunch of bye games and a bunch of bad opponents. This is basically a road bye game. Like, Georgetown has looked awful. They may or may not. I've seen some online tweets hinting that Ishmael Masood could potentially be close to returning. They need him. Ultimately, it comes down to whether or not Jaden Epps can can drop 30 and keep them in the game. Like TCU actually has some some decent guards. I just don't see Jamie Dixon losing to a roster like this. Like TCU should win comfortably. Yeah, I if agree. not, then they're really <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. Also, I uh I think Epps has been fine. I don't think Epps has been as good as I thought he would be. So TCU's the better roster. I'm not I, I'm not blaming anything on Epps because he has a supporting cast that's just not. Like, he, yeah. he has no choice but this one. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I do think this could be another fun Ed Cooley press conference. I'm excited to keep watching, though, <laughs> as the season gets drearier and drearier for him. 
Uh, okay, four more. This one is great. I kind of wish we were saving it for last, but we're going in uh, chronological order here. Texas at Marquette. Rodney Terry, Shaka Smart against his old program. He gets to be at home instead of going on the road here, though. Uh, Marquette looks great. Texas has been kind of iffy. They were in a dogfight with Louisville. What do you like? I think this is a this matchup goes very well nicely for Marquette. We still I still don't know if if Kadeem Cedric's going to play in this game or not. Dylan Disu's not going to be back, but also Eduardo has really had his breakout tournament in Maui. Cam Cam Jones, Tyler Colick, you know, the, the big question for me is going to be whether or not Max A. Smith start getting some talk because he has just been wildly inefficient as a volume scorer. They lucked out because Ithiel Horton has been really good off the bench, sort of replacing uh, Serge Jabari Rice in that role. Tyrese Hunter's been okay. Uh, Dylan Mitchell's been okay. Okay is not going to be good enough to win on the road at Marquette. Like, I think Marquette should win by 8 to 10. But this could be blowout territory if Max A. Smith goes, has another 6 for 17 type game. Yeah, I think this is, like, one that means something to Shaka and – I, the other thing, like, okay, they're off the Purdue loss. Probably want to come back with a statement win. Good opportunity against the Texas team, I think, just isn't where they need to be right now. By the end of the year, I still believe in Texas. Right now, based on everything we've seen, I think this team is pretty not great. Like, I, I don't think this is a top 25 team in the country right now, caliber-wise, at least until Asmus figures it out and adjusts to the speed that is needed of him in this offense with this team. So uh, give me Marquette. Give me Marquette big. Don't feel great about that, but I think I think it has to be the play here. Three more Providence at Oklahoma. Porter Mosier's boys look good thus far this season. Kind of sneaky, quietly a serious team here. Do you think the Sooners get this done at home? I, I, I do. I think a lot of the pieces he added on one hand didn't seem to fit. Like I didn't know what he would do with former Pitt big man John Hughley, but he has some – uh, a, a quality option off the bench. I mean, uh, Otego Uguay has been really good as a sophomore guy. JBM McCollum, the Siena transfer, has been really good. Not Jalen Pickett good, but has been really good for them leading the way. And Porter Mosier, regardless of the talent, is consistently one of the top coaches in college basketball. There's some talk in the offseason that maybe he could move on. If I'm Oklahoma, I do whatever it takes to keep him because you're not going to find a better option than him. And then Providence has still been fairly good. I mean, they, they've had some injuries and they had the, the the little brawl suspension without a point guard. But, you know, Joshua Duro has been really good. I think that matchup inside is going to be fun. Bryce Hopkins, Devin Carter has been playing at an all-conference level for them. This will be a pretty nice matchup for Kim English because if he can get this win, there will be a nice, you know, personal victory for him over Porter Mosier. I like Providence here. I think they're going to pull the upset. Um Kempom has them six point underdogs. I think this will open up more like, I don't know, maybe five and a half. And I could see it being bet either way, to be honest with you. I like Providence on paper. Uh, I like their guys. I think they are very physical. I think they have a very good defense. I think you don't get anything easy when you play them. I think Bryce Hopkins and Devin Carter collectively are, are one of the stronger, tougher duos that we're going to see on teams that aren't elite teams this season. And I think Oklahoma... Give them credit. They were great in Feast Week. Iowa and USC, both teams that, you know, those are resume wins. I don't think either of those teams are particularly tough. 
right now. Um, I think those are teams. If like Oklahoma shows up and hits them in the mouth, they kind of look around scared for a little bit. Providence is going to do that. If you hit these dudes in the mouth, they're going to like literally potentially punch you and get suspended for it. I think there's going to be a little bit of a wake up call physically for Oklahoma in this game. And uh, maybe a come back to earth moment and Providence gets a really big, big road win. That's just me saying, I don't trust Oklahoma basically while trying to praise Providence at times. Uh, there are two games left here. Villanova at Kansas State should be a fun one. Two teams that I would use the F word on, Tristan. I think they're both a bit fraudulent right now. Yeah, Kansas State just the other night needed overtime to get past Oral Roberts. That's, and their defense has been fairly poor. I mean, offensively, Tyler Perry and Arthur Kaluma has been fine. Uh, Cameron Carter, the, the, the guards sort of had a breakout campaign, but they have next to no offensive weapons outside of them. And, you know, you could argue with Villanova the outside of Eric Dixon and and just more that, you know, those transfers have struggled as well. You know, it probably is going to come down to which, you know, star duo has it. But if, but this is the game where if you're Hakeem Hart, if you're Tyler Burton or TJ Bamba, you need them to have a big game. Because if you can't score on Kansas State's defense, then you're just going to struggle, period, in Biggie's plays. So Villanova should win. Villanova kind of has to win. I'm, I'm not worried about them as a postseason team, but now we have to have the conversation, are they good enough to do anything? You know, and some people argued that they should be in the, in the conversation for top tier team in the Big East. You know, this is the kind of game where they have to win and we need to start seeing something out of these transfers because even if they're just going to be role players, you still should be better than eight points on two of seven shooting, which is what these guys have been. So I am curious to see who starts to become that third option for them because Eric Dixon going for 30 a game isn't going to win enough for them long-term. Yeah, this is how I feel about this game. Um, I I think Villanova is the better team. I have major concerns with Kansas State. I don't think Tyler Perry is close to the caliber that they needed to fill Marquise Noel's absence. Uh, I also think Arthur Kaluma is arguably further away from Keontae Johnson than Tyler Perry is from Marquise Noel. And they tried to just do the plug and play thing and it's not going to work. Those th- That's not these guys games. It's going to take Tang some time to figure it out. I trust your own Tang. I think by the end of the year, he will figure it out. But with all that said, I'm taking Kansas state to win this game for a lot of the same reasons. I like Arkansas tonight against Duke. Uh, depending on when you watch this preview, that might look really stupid. I think Duke's better than Arkansas in every way. I think Villanova's better than Kansas State in essentially every way. But this is a weird spot game for them. Uh, Kansas State's going to be desperate. They're going to feel like they need a resume win. It's at home. That's how Arkansas is right now. Villanova's 0-for-1 on road games this year. They lost to the Palestra to Penn. I get it. It's the Palestra, but they looked like a totally different team on the road than they did on a neutral or at home uh, until we see them perform a little better. I think there could be some ghosts there. And I think Kansas state when desperate still has the high end talent to beat a team whose best player is Eric Dixon. So I'll take Kansas state in a, in a big time spot there. And then the final one here, Seton hall at Baylor. I wish this was going to be a more fun game. I think Baylor's going to destroy them. What do you think? I wish this was Baylor at Seton Hall because I think that would have been more intriguing. Seton Hall just doesn't have the offensive firepower to keep up. Like Kadori Richmond has has been fairly good. Alamir Dawes is a good player. I just I, I just especially inside the, the the Seton Hall bigs haven't been overly impressive, and I think Baylor's front court 
is going to have have their way. So I, I have a feeling that Bears is going to comfortably win it from this one. Yeah, they just scored 108 points in their last game against Nichols when we we're recording this. Jacoby Walter had two points in that game. Huh? Like, how do you have enough power for Jacoby Walter to play 28 minutes and your team still scores 106 points without him? I've never seen anything like that. Scott Drew's a force to be reckoned with. These guards individually are all way better than uh, I anticipated they would be. And Ray J. Dennis heard me talk about how I don't trust him as a facilitator. He had 10 assisted two turnovers last game. So I think all these guys are getting more comfortable. They just got so much depth, so much talent, so much quickness, so much speed, so much shooting. I think this is one of the best teams in the country. And uh, unfortunately for Seton Hall, there's not going to be any sort of answer to keep up there. So, all right, there you have it. There's your Big 12 Big East battle preview. Preview. I feel like I should have put another B on that. Uh, thanks, Tristan. That was fun. If we tally that up, who won? Do we know? <laughs> uh, I have a feeling the way the matchups went went down. Let's see. One, two, three. Oh, it might have been a split. Might might have been six five either way. Mm. Yeah, a whole it, lot of potential blowouts though. Good old fashioned six five split. <laughs> We're not a math podcast, okay? It's not easy. Uh, well, you know, we'll win by one same thing. <laughs> it's all the same thing. Okay, to our final topic today. Time for my game. Woo! Should they change it? That's the game today. I have five things uh, that are lineup related that I don't like from teams right now. But may or may not be working, depending on how you want to define it. So I'm going to ask Tristan to put his coaching hat on and tell me, should they change it? Starting with the best player that I saw in action last night. That was Reed Shepard from Kentucky. Kids special. Uh, he was no doubt the best player on the floor in Kansas's win over, or sorry, in Kentucky's win over Miami. Uh, looks like a potential lottery pick, which is kind of crazy given just his role on this Kentucky team. Now he did play 30 minutes. That's great. Again, fantastic player. But uh, if he's not in the starting lineup, should he be in the starting lineup? Should Cal change it now that it's clear that he's one of the best players on this team? No, and this is strictly for politics reasons. Because when you're Kentucky and you have all these five-star guys, you, you have to start some of them. Because otherwise, it could lead to potential negative recruiting. And Reese Shepard is the one guy he he's the he he uh, his father played there. He can come off the bench without any issue and not complain. Like if if you move Justin Edwards to the bench or if you move Wagner Dillingham to the bench, there could be some negative consequences that comes from that. Reese Shepard would have no issue doing that. And if he's getting thirty minutes a game and potentially being close lineup then he's really not going to care. So this is one of those things where there's no need to rock the boat. They have lineup issues potentially coming down the next couple of weeks once all their bigs come back. That's something he has to deal with anyway. So there's no reason to cause potential more issues when all the guards are already happy as it is going. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think uh, with how much he already plays, I don't think it's super needle moving to insert him into the starting lineup. And uh, clearly he's thriving off the bench right now. Only follow up question I have is if DJ Wagner is out for any sort of extended time, do you put Dillingham into the starting lineup then and keep Shepard in like a sixth man role? Or would you put Shepard in by default because we think he's a better player than Dillingham right now, who also looks great, by the way? I, I would just, I would let, I would give it to Dillingham only because 
Shepard can be perfectly fine as a six man. And since he's shown that he can be a, a ball handler as well, it won't really affect the offense. But since Dylan Hand was sort of the high caliber five-star name, giving him a few starts and Wagner's out will, wouldn't hurt anyone. It'll probably make him happy. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next up, Michigan State. Big time drama with Tom Izzo's just comments on their rotations. He said some of the freshmen are not ready to play. That really means Xavier Booker. It doesn't mean this man. It doesn't mean Jeremy Fears. Jeremy Fears, I thought, was really good. Had his best game of the season uh, in the win over Georgia Southern. He had 10 rebounds. He had three assists. He had six points. He was two for two from the floor. He got to the free throw line. He only played 19 minutes. A.J. Hogard played 22 minutes off the bench. Trey Holloman played 22 minutes as a starter. It should be noted as well that everybody's minutes were down. Walker and Aikens got auto-benched late because it was such a blowout. So there aren't this many minutes to go around. Whoever's going to start at point guard next to Walker and Aikens on this team is probably going to be the one that plays the most minutes. Should that be Jeremy Fear? Should they make the change and bring the freshman point guard in uh, over both Hogard and Holloman? I wish you'd asked me this a week from now after I've seen how he looks in Big Ten play. Because it's one thing to, to look fine against by opponents. It's one thing to, you know, have, with nothing to lose, play well against the top teams. But I am interested to see how he'll look in league play. I just don't just don't know if you if you bench Hogard or Aikens that they can recover from that. Like, you're going to need them if you're going to contend for Final Four national title appearance. And Fears is doing fine off the bench. He's, he's getting his minutes. If if you bench Hogard, uh, I, just, I just wouldn't do it because I'm more fearful of what would happen to the veterans if you make that kind of like, especially one month into the year. If this is January 1st and Fears has really started to outplay them, then you can make that move without any issue. Then whatever happens, happens. But I just haven't seen enough just yet to pull that kind of trigger with your veteran roster. Yeah, so here's my workflow of what I would do. First, I would keep A.J. Hogarth in the starting lineup. I just would. I know he's not playing well. I think he's too important to the ceiling of this team. I don't think you get there without him. And if you bench him, I think there's ramifications both on and off the court that would hurt the culture of this team uh, or the chemistry of this team. Two, if you're going to bench A.J. Hogarth, I think you probably owe it to Trey Holloman to keep him in the lineup. He had 10 assists last night in the start after you benched him. Like, I think he's playing well. He's the guy who's hitting threes out of this group. And ultimately, you need spacing more than anything. And I, I trust Holloman's shot more than anybody else's, including Jeremy Fears, which feels gross to say out loud, but I think it's true. Then my third thing, though, Jeremy Fears should play more, regardless of if he's starting or not. He only has one game this season where he hit the 20-minute mark. It was 21 minutes in a win against Alcorn State. The kid's showing me enough. I, I think he's so unselfish. I think he makes the right read. He's in the right spots. He's a great leader. I mean, he's such a better leader than the veteran guard on this team. And he, he just has to play more. I'm okay with it being off the bench, but I wish he could get closer to 25 minutes instead of 20 minutes right now. I think that would really help. To the third one, yeah. should they change it? Well, I would just want to say one other thing with Trey Holloman. Seeing how Pierre Brooks looks right now with Buck. Holloman was the guy on, on paper that you would fear that could have been a transfer portal candidate if he didn't get enough minutes this year. If you can feed him minutes in any way possible to guarantee that he remains on the roster, regardless of what happens with Hogarth and Aikens in the offseason, that's that's a, a sneaky objective that Tom Izzo needs to have. So I, I do agree that Holloman 
needs to get minutes. And if you even want to give him some starts to like let him know, hey, you're part of this program going forward. Don't think about leaving because you don't want him to go somewhere where he can excel while you still having a couple of potentially unhappy guys that could leave anyway. Yeah, my my flip on that is I think you still should prioritize Aikens, though. I think you're right on Hogard, but like you could get a senior year from Aikens next year for the first time as a starting shooting guard instead of a starting small forward that I think has a much higher ceiling than whatever Trey Holloman is in the future. Um, and maybe I'm wrong on that. I've been a Holloman skeptic his whole career. But to me, he's always been a guy like, yeah, if he leaves, he leaves. And he's playing better, but... I don't think like Michigan State's future Final Four trips are necessarily banking on Trey Holloman in a big role. With that said, he's playing great, and you got to reward it, and he deserves it right now. But yeah, morale wise, I hear what you're saying. I just think like Aikens is the one that matters to me more. There, uh, three more quick ones. Tennessee. Everybody's talking about their guards, and not necessarily in a great way, right? Ziegler and uh, Vescovy were was the whole squad the last couple of years. They've been on very good teams. This year, Vescovi's still starting. He's not shooting nearly as much as he used to until the the Kansas game. He was 5 for 11 from 3. But before that, his attempts have been way down. Ziegler just isn't the same guy, in my opinion. It's post-injury, but he's just not as effective. He doesn't have the burst. You've got Jordan Ganey off the bench right now. Looked great in the Michigan State scrimmage. Has had great off-the-dribble scoring moments for Tennessee. He's kind of like the Robin to Dalton Connect's Batman of trying to raise this Rick Barnes offense, in my opinion. Should he enter the starting lineup? Should they go full transfer mode and get gaining more opportunities? No, because he's not really a, a passer. Like, Viscovi at least can, can distribute the ball. And if you're not going to have Ziegler in, in the lineup at first, you really don't want it to be Connect. Ganey and, and Meshack because because Meshack isn't really much of a passer either. So you, you don't want it to be a situation where it becomes nothing but ISO ball. Because for an offense that you know tends to, to get stuck at times, not having an actual distributor would just make it worse. So you have to have either Viscovi or, or Ziegler on the court at all times. And, and Ganey, he can just be instant offense coming off the bench. And I, I think his role is perfectly fine as is. Ziegler, you know, he struggled as a starter last year when he was fully healthy, and then Rick Barnes had him go to the bench, and he excelled there, but they also had, you know, better point guard play that was starting. But I just don't see a viable way where you can have Escobie and Ziegler not on the court. One of them, I think, has to be there. I think they can be on the court. I wish that Ganey was in over Meshack. That's the guy I would target if there was a switch made here. And uh, I know Meshack is theoretically very important to the defense. I don't think Ganey is, but I think they need more scoring bursts. Like, I think that's why they lost the two games in Maui is because Dalton Connect had cramping issues and there wasn't anywhere to turn. I'd rather have two guys in that offense that at all times are like on the floor threats. I think the other three are good enough to keep that defense where it is. Uh, so I would make the change. That's the first one that I would make the change. Fourth one here. Arkansas, it's a mess right now. Tremont Mark's injury kind of looms over this team. You don't know if there's going to be changes or not. They brought a bunch of guys in from the portal in the offseason. Tremont Mark, like we said, has been incredible. L. Ellis has not. He's not played nearly as many minutes as we expected. And there's kind of been this revolving door of guys in and out of the starting lineup. I have one name that I've picked out that I want to know if you think he should enter the starting lineup permanently. Should 
Khalif Battle, who I think has been their most consistent non-Tramon Mark offensive player this season, should he be a full-time starter on this team? No, because the problem for Arkansas is the point guard play, not the scoring department. Like having Mark and Battle out there is fairly redundant. And if it's Ellis out there with them, then you basically have three scoring guards because Ellis isn't really a true point guard. Like he's a scoring guard that brought the ball up for Louisville. He had to distribute because there's literally no other passer on the team, but that's not his game. And I think it's hurting him that he's – sort of having to just be solely a distributor and not scoring the ball because, you know, we have Mark out there who's playing as great as he is. He needs to get there. And, you know, I think anytime that you can have battle or Mark out there for all 40 minutes, that's ideal for them. But I think they need to give Leighton Blocker, their only true point guard on the roster, more minutes. And just have him develop faster because he they're going to need him in March. I don't know what you do with Ellis. I think ultimately it was going to come down to one of those guards were just going to fall out of rotation because they're all redundant. I think battle as a six man is perfectly fine because he's getting his shots and his minutes. I think it's, I think Ellis should be taken out, but it should be in favor of blocker instead of battle. Okay. I like that answer. I can see that too. I like that more than what they're doing. Um, I just would play battle. I really would. I would make that change because I think part of the issue, yes, it's point guard. I also think part of the issue is just, I don't think they have a bunch of good players. I think they need more like legitimate, consistent, good players. And right now I think if I was making a list of who do I trust the most on Arkansas to be good any given night battles, one of the top two names. I think you need to rely on that more heavily than games where he's only playing 18 minutes. Um, so I, I would make that change. I don't know what they're going to do at point guard. I think your answer is the right one. I don't necessarily love that answer. I don't think I trust Layden Blocker very much. They certainly could use Keon Menefield, right? Like that was a name people kind of forgot about. He was supposed to maybe be available and then it just never happened. I, I don't know if he would have been the answer, though, because he's really more of like Ellis, where he's just a, a true scorer who just happened to get a couple of assists a game because the ball was always in his hands. Like, the way Musselman built his roster was almost as if he assumed that at least one of these transfers wasn't going to work out, and he didn't care as long as the others did. But if none of them were working out at the point guard position, that affects the entire offense. And Trevon Brazil, you know, he, he's been fine, but not the All-American that people thought he could have been. And if the front court's giving you, you know, okay, and you're getting insufficient play from the backcourt, now all of a sudden they look very vulnerable, and they might be more of a top 40 team than a true top 15 team. But again, we've said this multiple years in a row, and then they go on a big run in February and shuts us all up. So who knows if that can happen. Yeah. All right, final one for me. This is uh, maybe the most peculiar one to me. Connor Asesian has barely played this season for Wisconsin. He uh, has not played more than 14 minutes in a game. His last two have actually trended upward. He was playing 6-7-4 in back-to-back games, up to 13 against SMU, 14 against Western Illinois. His season high in points is six points. Now, he's not making threes either. He's just uh, three for 16 from three-point range right now. Clearly doesn't look like the same guy. Uh, He had the back injury. That's what people were saying was the reason. I think that's part of the reason. I also think just he's fallen out of favor with Greg Gard. I think AJ Storr stepped in, has been really good. And I think John Blackwell, quite frankly, a freshman, is outplaying Connor Asijan right now. If you would have told me before the season, before the season that Connor Asijan was just going to disappear, 
I would have said this is a disaster for Wisconsin, but they look pretty good without him. Should they make any changes at any point? I don't think right. It's it's obvious to me right now they should not. But it, by the end of the season, should they be hoping that Connor Asijan is a starter on this team? Not if Blackwell continues to play as well as he has. Like, Storr has been the perfect transfer addition for them. The only question with Asijan is, do you want to guarantee that he doesn't hit the portal? Because what you're doing right now is basically sending him to the portal. And if you're okay with that because Blackwell could be the real deal and he gives you an upgrade defensively while still being just as fine as score, then that's perfectly fine. Because ultimately you don't want to box out minutes for Blackwell because then he could be a portal candidate if he doesn't get a raise. But it, it, it's it's one of the more interesting developments because, you know, sometimes guys get, get boxed out unexpectedly. Sometimes guys emerge. You're going to need a season scoring, but maybe you're just hoping that in the 15 minutes he gives you that he can knock down a couple of threes. That's going to lead to some long-term consequence, consequences for them, but I don't see why they don't why they can't change everything, especially considering that they had a fairly successful uh, Fort Myers tournament last year when they took out Virginia in, in handle fashion. Yeah, I just think this team is better than I expected. That that's where I'm at right now. And uh not by a lot. Like <laughs> I, I didn't expect much, so maybe by a lot, but they uh I, I like I'm not buying them to make a deep run in March or anything, but I think they're an upper half Big Ten team. And it I just never would have expected that without a season. If I were Greg Gard, I would care more about a season leaving in the future because I don't think this year has any sort of championship ceiling. So I, I care about the future. And no offense to the guys that are in his starting lineup, like Blackwell is obviously a clear part of the future. AJ store uh, theoretically could be a big part of the future if he doesn't ever head to the NBA here. But outside of that, like there's a lot of seniors and juniors and guys that just aren't going to be around as long that are being prioritized over maybe two to three more years of Connor season. So um, long-term I would keep a pulse on it. I give Gregard credit for not mortgaging the start of his season for a kid who's clearly struggling, but they got to get it figured out is my answer. I don't think they can just wipe him away and watch him hit the portal and go to Iowa and then score 20 points a game for Fran McCaffrey in a couple of years. We'll see what happens. All right. Fun game. Thanks Tristan for playing my fun little game. That might be one we have to bring back throughout the season. Let's end the show with one big thing presented by big B Tristan, your inaugural one big thing. Yeah, so my one big thing is for those of you who do not like water, and I think water is pointless and and just don't taste good at all, you know, you got to find some certain things. And I found, thanks to Carter Elliott, uh, RIP to him, Gatorade Zero. And mainly because it supposedly don't have any sugar, but it still tastes better than water. And that's what I've been drinking for the past couple weeks. And it sort of helps me stay up doing all the bunch of articles. So thanks to Cora for pointing that out so I can live a healthier life and be uh, not as sick as your ass. I'm just laughing so hard that you discovered Gatorade Zero from Carter. Like, that's that's not something that's hard to discover. <laughs> Look, I, I, when you go past them in, 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 the, in the supermarkets, it's like, okay, that's like diet, diet flavored water or something. I didn't want that. But apparently it actually is good. And, you, you know, you don't don't skip past it when you're when you're shopping in the one aisle with all the uh, drinks. That's that's a good thing. So you you just hate the taste of water. That's why you don't drink water. Yes. Yeah, nasty. <laughs> 
and it all tastes the same, like water coming out the sink, water coming out. It's not the, the, nasty, the, the, the though. Fountains. It is nasty. How is what water, water nasty? Like? What does water taste like? I mean, nothing. That's why it's not nasty. It just tastes like nothing. And nothing, and nothing is not a good adjective. So if it tastes <laughs> like nothing, then it's not good. It tastes nasty. What about? You need to have something. No, it tastes like that's not true. Because I feel like you have a pretty bland palate, and a lot of things you and I both eat taste like nothing, which is a good thing, but just not with water. That's not true. What the, what doesn't taste? What tastes like nothing is good. I feel like you and I just agree on like a lot of snacks, and I don't know. We're picky. They taste eaters, good. Right? That's why we eat them because they taste good. Who eats nothing? Like, what's the point of eating a snack that tastes like nothing and still are, good? Are you a big sauce guy? Marinara sauce, but like you're not, you're not, you're not getting like chicken wings in sauce. I do. Oh, you do. It's good. Okay, I thought you were like a a get your boneless wings just dry. Sometimes, if there's no sauce available, or ranch. But it's because they taste good. It's not because you want plain. Correct. Plain tastes good. It tastes good. Water is nothing. Like we're not gonna hype up water like it tastes good. water i couldn't disagree like you go if it rains go put a cup outside and drink it when it fills up it's the same thing and we're going to act like oh it's good you've never had where like a you've never had a moment where where an ice cold glass of water just like hits ever in your life no 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 like ooh, water ice cold that's because i think i know why i think i know why i think i know why you also okay i think i know why I don't I don't mean to be disrespectful with this. I'm just from what I, you're you're not a big exercise guy. No. Right. So like that's yeah, so I'm a that goes there, hand so in I hand with food. water. So <laughs> well, like I just like my my moments where I've discovered appreciation for water are like, oh, I just got gassed playing basketball, or I just got gassed on a I ran a mile and a half instead of a mile today. That's when water hits different. Not like when I'm just sitting here on hour six of podcast, I'm not craving water, but I need water when I'm working, Tristan. That's what we do. Okay, but you do it because you need it, not because, oh, it's good as hell. No, because you need because your body then tricked you and made you think, well, if I don't get it, I'll die. No, <laughs> you don't need water. If you drink this a whole bunch of times, you will live. So you, you've okay. been walking a lot, right? You've been walking a lot. Yes. And when I'm done, I'm, oh man, I get a glass of water. Woo. No one thinks that. I, I think that all the time. No I, that's crazy. All right. Well, I want to move on. We could spend an hour on this. This is insane. Uh, my my one big thing presented by Bigby is I want to draw a line on how many seasonal things we need. I don't think we need seasonal things. And I'm getting a little bit annoyed because I uh, I just went to open a pack of scissors yesterday. Just like we we had some scissors sitting around that the wife had bought at her latest grocery run. Now I went to grab the scissors and cut them open and rip it open. And it had Christmas trees on it. Why do we have Christmas trees on scissor packaging? That makes no sense. Like, I just don't need that. I get it. Like, everybody's supposed to be happy. I'm not being a Scrooge. I love the Christmas season. But... Sometimes I just want scissors in scissor packaging. I don't need festive, oh, reminders that there's gifts to buy because I'm opening scissors. Like, 
foods and drinks, okay, maybe get a little like Christmas tree sprinkles on something. That's perfectly fine with me. But something that's totally objectively not festive does not need to be festive. Thank you for my TED Talk. I'm confused, though, because why did you need multiple scissors? You only need one. I needed new scissors. Okay, but you only needed one. Why did you need multiple? The old ones were old and gross. They got sticky. Well, yeah, so, so, but you say you got multiple in a package. No, no, it was a pack of one pair of scissors. Oh, okay, I was about to say, because you only need one pair of scissors, because it's not like you and your wife are going to be cutting things up at the same time. Okay, you don't know that. You don't know what me and my wife do when the lights are off. It don't, no, because you only need, that, that's just, that's just, that's not financially frugal, because you only need one pair of scissors. You only need one pair of a lot of things. This is about the Christmas trees. It's not about the scissors. Come on. We only need one Christmas tree, too. <laughs> this is that's the show. And, today. and you only need one, you only need one Christmas tree, by the way, for like 50 years. Like all that, oh, I'm gonna get a different one each year. That's it. I just bought a new Christmas tree for the first time in six years. But that I, is that why? Was the old one bad? Was, yeah. was it was it dirty? Yes, yes, it was broken. Well, you should have fixed it. Use some tape. <laughs> why do you think I needed scissors for Tristan? <laughs> all right, Apparently that's the show. show. That's the show. Well, Tristan needs his own segment at least once a week. We need like a Tristan dial in. Hey, how much water have you had? And then just let him rant about something. Uh, thank you, Tristan, very much for filling in for Carter Elliott. We don't know when Carter will be back. If Carter's not back, my first call is going to be to, Frist- to Trist- Tristan. Jesus, again tomorrow. Uh, join the Discord. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We'll see you tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.